Hello, and welcome to the Word Theater Short Story Podcast, your weekly access to great stories inhabited by great actors. My name is Cedaring Fox. I'm Word Theater's founder and artistic director. For two decades, we have been bringing powerful writing to life with the writers in the room to hear their stories read. This week in the United States, we are honoring Dr. Martin Luther King. And so I have selected a piece by the brave and brilliant John Edgar Wideman to share with you. Wideman's books include, among others, Look For Me and I'll Be Gone, American Histories, Writing to Save a Life, Brothers and Keepers, Philadelphia Fire, Father Along, Hoop Roots, and Sent For You Yesterday. Weidman won the Penn Faulkner Award twice, the first person to do so, and has twice been a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award and the National Book Award. He is a MacArthur Fellow and a recipient of the Lannan Literary Award for Lifetime Achievement and the Penn Malamud Award for Excellence in the Short Story. John divides his time between New York and France. For those who need a trigger warning, this is powerful material. But at Word Theater, we don't shy away from this kind of power. And I hope you will allow yourself to experience the beauty and pain that our author and actor express. To read a 10-minute excerpt of Weidman's Witness, Letter from France, please welcome a longtime Word Theater collaborator, actor Gary Dordan. My people are being killed, dying in great numbers everywhere, dying and disappearing. At some point today, if the sky clears or if it doesn't, I will take a long, good walk in the French countryside. Good meaning good, long meaning an hour or more. I try to walk away from the conversation that I'm having with myself at this moment, why people are dying and I'm wondering who is in charge and why so few of us acknowledge or notice the willful destruction of colored lives that I witness daily and why I have no words to convince others of the losses, the evil, my stupefaction, as I watch wave after wave of death, or one single quiet fall after another that disappears, people I call mine. My people. Though I'm guilty of not loving them enough and thus complicit in the killing, that I hope will recede from my mind as I walk later in the French countryside. I will walk and walk and regard nature's ageless, expressionless face, nature not watching me or barking at or sniffing me, nature that fears nothing in me and wants nothing from me, but simply takes me in and buries me with an utter lack of recognition so that I am relieved of myself emptied and erased from the reflections that I cast on nature, and nature doesn't cast back. In the French countryside this afternoon, I will try to imagine that the walk will never end, and that the self who sees the killing will slip away and will never again need to deal with this, the annihilation of people. I would love more if I could. Protect more, if I could. Talk with, sit with, 
cold hands. It's with my good. But daydreams won't stop the killing. No matter how many denials, how much shock or outrage or pretend surprise at each new victim, no matter how many hours I walk, the remorseless attrition goes on. It starts with single lives and turns into many, many deaths, too many anonymous colored faces, faces with no words, words with no faces. I have no more information than anyone else. No clues to connect the dots. No dots except those I glean by imagining myself among the dead. Not exactly myself, but a disembodied witness, a victim who also survives, as if a person could be two places at once. It starts with intimations of a grand plan for the wholesale slaughter and elimination of people of color. Voices from a room too far away for me to distinguish individual words. I can make out only the rise and fall of urgent conversation, arguments, deliberations, plans for war. Not my plan, obviously, but a plan that encompasses me, my color. My anguish, the anger at myself at those times when it seems that I do nothing but stand by and watch. Not only strangers dying in the news, but mother, father, siblings, nephews, nieces go down, overwhelmed, overcome. People I believe I love. And then I see that my people don't count because they can be snatched away or neglected or abused or forgotten with no reckoning, no fault assigned as if they, he, she, we had never been anything other than empty faces, empty words, smoke and mirrors. I see the men of my family, my father, all skin and bones after a lifetime of jobs that consumed his body and bittered his mind, slides down a waterproof sheet on a hospital bed that has been elevated to keep him awake and responsive. My middle brother holds onto my elbow, shuffles his Parkinsonian shuffle down the hall of a nursing home's locked ward. Youngest brother, fresh from bending over, a rectal inspection pauses at the guard's kiosk to sign into the visiting room. Suddenly, too old, too small in his orange jumpsuit beside his fellow inmates, most of them colored guys, on average 30 years his junior, who pad their bulky shapeless coveralls with jailhouse muscle and arrogance, decorate them with stylish gang ticks. His son shot dead in front of a pregnant girlfriend with their two-year-old in their arms. 
a nephew cursing his daughter on the street where she trades pussy for crack. A cousin's kid selling drugs. Another relative who returned from the war an addict and now deals big time to support his family, his habit. One of his sons in Cleveland following in daddy's footsteps. Or is he dead? Or in the slam for murdering some other mother's son? The facts of my life materialize no mere headlines or essayistic musings on human nature or theories of culture, no talk show interpretations or testimonials and incredulous bystanders, no recitations of the numbing statistics of other Holocaust to diminish what's happening here, now. Simply pain, punishment, deeply rooted, echoing pain that incarcerates and kills. A plan operating patiently, like a microscopic wound in my mother's breast that grew large enough to swallow all of her. It chokes me. It makes me short of breath. If you let yourself listen, you can hear them running. Trains of endless cattle cars that run all night and in the daytime too. Though the noise we make to keep ourselves company during daylight hours, it drowns them out for the most part, the train sound. You can hear them best when you are exhausted, when you need to rest to empty yourself of distractions and finally slide down naked into that vast tub of black oblivion. So much more of it than you. It waits quietly to dissolve your small portion into its measurelessness. Until you are among the missing persons you do not miss when you sleep. Trains packed with my doomed people, removing them as sleep removes me from myself, removes me from them. My people stuffed into nasty, wobbling stacks of chicken wire crates, clackety-clack, yakety-yak, and some nights the sound keeps me awake before it puts me to sleep. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when I was a boy lying awake at night waiting for trains to pass on the tracks on the hillside just across from our colored street, Finance, trains close enough to rattle window panes in our raggedy little house. I'd hear China, hear Cleveland, China and Cleveland, meaning somewhere else, anywhere far away and different where the next train might be headed. On my long-awaited first trip outside Pittsburgh, outside my state to another state, to Cleveland, Ohio, with the Shady Side Boys Club under 12 basketball team. I wanted to kick the ass of the first boy I saw because he was no different in his Cleveland backyard than the stupid Pittsburgh boys I'd been seeing my whole life. Imagine yourself very hungry. Only one place in town open that serves food. Awful food. Eat it or starve. Eat it and starve. You arrive at the last restaurant in Cleveland, and it's not there. 
Kimberly Black sits beside her best friend, Cherise Swain, in the front seat of Cherise's car in Kimberly's driveway in Cleveland. Kimberly slits Cherise's throat with a razor, then runs inside her house, emerges with her kids. Car sets up and strikes the two of them. One kid dies. LeBron James, famous hoopster, busts out of Cleveland, celebrates his liberation like it's Christmas, like he was in jail those seven years on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Leave that boy alone, man. Why, you, you wouldn't do exactly what LeBron did if you were in LeBron's big shoes. Ask yourself that question, sucker, and go on away from here. Always getting on LeBron's case. Shit, man. You couldn't shoot a basket to save your life, nigga. In Cleveland, Ariel Castro kidnaps three women and locks them up in his house for 10 years. I'm not picking on Cleveland to make my case. Cleveland's the rule, not the exception. LeBron returned to Cleveland, didn't he? The case is far older than Cleveland, as old as America, as China, as classifying people by a color, as old as stealing people, buying and selling people, older than a decision by the NBA team owners that athletes should be treated like livestock, raised, bought, and sold, distributed to markets. No beginning or end to it. No case, only this witness, these words, attempting to unravel and stitch back together evidence that proves conspiracy. Complicity, words, the, words to out the unfolding plan. Where does the history of one's particular groups need to dominate, to love, hate, consume another group begin? You tell me because I can't say exactly, exactly except to say, inside of myself where I feel the evidence accumulate. The way time accumulates and swirls in Cleveland, swirls inside and outside me. All time, no time, lots and lots and lots of dots. Follow the dots and they will lead. Infinitely complex technologies at your fingertips. Binal is painting by numbers. Follow them and they lead to street maps, statistics, graphs, words, faces, genocide of colored faces, of anonymous colored faces with no words or one word. Colored. Color. Meaning what? Genocide. Meaning what? Genocide, a word coined not long after my birth, which will certainly outlive me. There's some food for thought. If you've been impressed by the work we've been sharing with you on our free podcast, Please tell your friends about Word Theater and invest in a Word Theater annual membership to help support our work and you'll always learn about our upcoming live events. Plus, contributing members are able to enjoy all of our filmed performances free if you can't be with us in person. If you're not yet ready to sign up, make sure you're on our mailing list. Just visit wordtheater.org and you can check it all out. 
thank you to our composer, Jonathan Sachs, for our theme music, and to our podcast editor, Jason Lee. This is Cedaring Fox. Until next week, signing off. <laughs>